0: Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message.
1: A reading from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. For the message of the cross and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. As it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: One of my favorite women to learn about and read is the artist Lilius Trotter. Some of you may have heard of her. Lilius was born in the mid-19th century. And she lived a fairly wealthy and privileged life. And in her 20s, she was taken under the wing of very famous artist and philosopher and writer of the time, John Ruskin. And he told her that if she devoted her life fully to her art, she would, quote, be the greatest living painter and do things that would be immortal. Immortal. But God had a different plan for Lilius. A plan that seems maybe like utter folly and maybe even stupidity to the people around her. In her early 30s, she began to feel a really deep pull to minister to the people of northern Africa. And even though that offer from John Ruskin kind of perpetually dangled like this carrot in front of her, this tempting carrot. She just couldn't shake the Holy Spirit's conviction over her life. And so, as a single woman, a single woman who didn't speak any Arabic and was rejected from several official, official missions organizations because of her poor health, Lilius arrived in Algeria less than one year after that initial calling from the Lord. She lived and worked alongside two other single women, and they were in a field of work that, as women and in this culture, just was completely inappropriate for them and perhaps even scandalous. She was perhaps a little bit over her head and maybe even a little bit out of her mind, but that conviction that she felt from the Lord persisted. She said just after she arrived, the three of us, these three women, stood there looking at our battlefield, not knowing a soul in the place, or a sentence of Arabic, or a clue for beginning work on untouched ground. We only knew we had to come. Truly, if God needed weakness, He had it. Um, As a missionary, she continued in her crafts of writing and art. Um, Here's going to be an example of one of her paintings, one of my favorites, because um, I love that, like much of her art, it focuses on the women and girls in the Algerian culture, uh, people whom um, they, they would have no one to tell their story. And they would have no outlet for having their voice heard. And Lilius um, depicts them and their domestic lives just so beautifully. Thanks, Todd. Um, I'm going to come back to her legacy a little bit more um, at the end here. But I just want to ask the question for us this morning. Why would she do that? Why would she give up fame and influence and this artistic legacy that was promised to her what she understood something that the world did not and it was the gospel of jesus christ that burning in her bones that compelled her to do something that others would call a waste and would call crazy but for lilius following jesus wherever he led her was the only thing that made sense See, the kingdom of God through the cross changes everything. To the world, it's foolish. But to those of us who are being saved, who have seen and experienced the deeper work and wonder of the cross, like Lilius did, the cross is the very power of God. And so, through these words from the Apostle Paul to his letter to the Corinthians that we read this morning, we're going to explore just a few questions. What drove Lilius to do something so wild and foolish? And what does the work of the cross actually accomplish? And then, what is true folly and true wisdom? And as we look more closely at the folly of the cross here, we can see that there are two main patterns kind of that rise to the surface in this passage, the flip of the cross and the followers of the cross. See, the cross flips everything around, and the cross turns us into followers, So if you have your Bible with you, or you can grab a Bible on the seats, um, turn to that passage with me. It starts on page 1450, 1450. Okay, so the Corinthian church is made up of Jews and Gentiles. So it's really a diverse body of people. But almost all of them have one thing in common, and that's all that they are baby Christians. They are new converts to the faith, most of them, the majority of them, probably within a few years or less. Um, And just a side note here as we begin, you're going to notice that Paul's going to use that word folly a lot uh, in this passage, and I, I think that's not a word we... Um, hear a lot in our society today. Um, I think it was translated in a, as a locura in Spanish, right? Uh, it's craziness, it's insanity, it's stupidity, silliness, lunacy. It goes against everything that most people in most societies would say is normal and uh, socially acceptable and responsible. Um, so that was just a side note to just help us understand where Paul's coming from here, but let's go back to those those baby those baby Christians uh, in Corinth. Paul understands that he's addressing mostly people who are still uh, shaking off a lot of that cultural and religious baggage that they came with, and uh, whether you're like them, a new Christian or Maybe you've been a believer your whole life. I think that uh, this message is relevant for us too because we're all constantly just shaking off those cultural assumptions that we have, those cultural sins that we have, perhaps even negative religious experiences that we need to bring to the cross and receive the healing of the cross. So the Jews and the Gentiles are each approaching the cross from this specific and different angle, and so that's why Paul's addressing them differently, but they're both trying to stuff the meaning of the cross into their own box to make it make sense, make it more appealing for them. So look at verse 22 with me here. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So in a nutshell, the Jews want power, they want signs. The Gentiles want wisdom. And in both cases, Paul is saying, you've got it completely backwards. In the world's understanding of power and wisdom and influence, they might look at us as Christians, as the church, and see not only a bunch of fools, but what else are they going to see? They're going to see ignorance and weakness and being backwards, and perhaps at our best, they believe that we're naive, and perhaps at our worst, they think, actually, the church is dangerous, and it's part of the problem of oppression in the world. And sometimes for us as believers, we go, actually, they're right. Um, There are ways in which we've been complicit in sin and evil, both as individuals and communally. And even there are ways that some of the church maybe have too much influence. They have too much power. And I just want to say where that's true, and it is true sometimes, we need to repent. Um, we need the grace of Jesus to bring us back to the truth of what The cross is because where that happens, that's simply us as the church not understanding the flip of the cross either. That's just us slapping a Christian bumper sticker over the same broken car that the world's driving. See, through Christ, He is bringing together all of the power and all of the wisdom of God, and it just looks nothing like we thought it would. It looks like weakness. But for those of us who have been and are being saved by the cross, Paul says, we know, we have seen that within its weakness and actually because of Jesus' weakness, the cross has and can and will do far, far more in the upside-down kingdom of God than it could ever do in the kingdoms of this world. So what does that mean? Paul kind of lays this out. That means whether you're of noble birth or not, whether you have influence or a big Twitter following for your hot takes or... Um, if you have anything else that the world deems as important or influential, if you know the cross, if, if you know the saving power of Jesus in your life, then that means you receive the inheritance and of the power of God and of the wisdom of God. And that's actually all you need, even when you feel like your faith makes you poor and powerless and pathetic, because you know the power of the cross, you know it is stronger than any human strength, Paul says, and it is wiser than any human wisdom. God didn't do it this way because he had to. He was pleased, Paul says, to choose the foolish Lowly, despised things to bring his plan into the world. He did it not in a wealthy palace, but in the womb of a young girl who was followed by scandal. Not through, not in the heat of a a sub tweet battle where you just destroy your opponent, and you vilify your brothers and sisters, but in the peace of a baby in a stable who would call us his sons and daughters. Not in a combat zone, upon a warrior's white horse with a sword of victory in his hand while others cheered, but on a cross, on a hill, with nails in his hands, while others jeered and mocked him. Paul says, this, this cross, this is real wisdom and real power. Pastor Charles Spurgeon once said, if ye seek wisdom, ye shall see it displayed in all its greatness, not in the balancing of the clouds, nor in perpetual motions of the waves of the sea, not in vegetation with all its fairy forms of beauty, nor the animal with its tissue of nerve and vein and sinew, nor even in man that last and loftiest work of the creator. But turn aside and see this great sight, an incarnate God upon the cross. Here is essential wisdom, enthroned, crowned, glorified. While Jesus lay cold and dead and weak on the cross and in the tomb, somehow in the mystery of God, at the same time, his strength and power were at work as he was storming the gates of hell to redeem us from all sin and death. And after his death, as his disciples doubted and um, were confused in their grief, and they doubted everything that they thought they knew and they had experienced, the hope of the resurrection whispered, just wait. It's all going to make sense. And even now, in our pain and our doubts, in our suffering, in our um, not being able to understand the hope of the resurrection, also whispers, just wait. Just hold on a little bit longer because it's all going to make sense. God's wisdom and his power are on full display on the cross that overturns all of our worldly understandings and categories. See, it's in his weakness that actually God's power is unleashed. And it's because of his weakness that Jesus is glorified. Listen to these words from Philippians that just encapsulates this. Jesus humbled himself by being, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus understood that there was a wisdom and a power that we knew nothing about, but he showed it to us. And it's this deeper, beauty of power and wisdom on the cross, the folly of the cross that turns us into followers of the cross as well. So my two-year-old Wells, um, whom many of you see bumbling and running around, I'm chasing him most Sundays, but <laughs> staying still <laughs> this morning. Um, He has this skill for sneaky thievery. And uh, so sometimes he thinks he can snatch something like really quickly without us knowing about it, but then I think he feels guilty and he uh, destroys the evidence immediately. So he especially likes doing this with our phones and he has this, I mean, it really is quite impressive. Nora, right? Am I right, Back <laughs> She He has this ability to grab the phone and then throw it on the floor in like less than a second. It's just this fluid motion of whipping it on the floor, and uh, the or on the floor or in the kiddie pool, which he did um, to my phone on the Fourth of July, which was just super fun. I'm like, why would you even go through? all of this trouble to steal this and then not go like take the phone and hide in a corner and like try to find Daniel Tiger games on it but just you're just gonna whip it in the pool like what a waste. Um, But last week he attempted one of these many phone heists and our whole family was hanging out on the couch and Wells kind of just like saunters up to the couch where Trevor and I are sitting and Trevor's phone is on the arm of the couch, so he just like slowly and subtly kind of like puts his hand on the arm of the couch and he's like slowly and then he slowly removes the phone and by the time we notice, he's like running across the room and I'm, I'm chasing after him and I'm like, give it back, Wells, give me the phone. And I like have him backed in a corner by the window and um, he's like in a frenzy, like in a panic, like, what can I do with this? Where can I where can I throw this phone? And he's like, I mean, there's the floor. That's kind of like my go-to. That's like my M.O., but I, I don't know. I'm just feeling really creative. Like, is there anywhere more destructive that I can throw this phone? And so he's looking around, and he's like, oh, the window. Okay, okay. So he uh, he decides to just try to chuck the phone out the window, but of course... Not, he doesn't understand the basics of, like, physical laws. So the the window's closed. So it just uh, hits the window, and it bounces back, and it, like, hits him in the face. And he's fine, he's fine. He's like, but he's like, why didn't, why didn't this work? And, of course, we're all laughing, because as a parent, you just have to. And then you're like, are you okay? But also, like, it's kind of your fault. Um, so he... <laughs> I'm like, well, okay, buddy, there's something about this that's just not clicking for you. Like, you see the window, but you don't understand how it works. Um, And I was thinking about this this week, and I was like, I wonder if there's maybe something for us, this lesson for us, in his (laughs) ignorance of the basic mechanics of how windows work. Um, See, maybe in his imagination... He looked at the window, and in the split second as he made that decision, he sees the possibility of what's beyond the window, and so in his mind, he conjures up this long, extensive story of what's going to happen when I throw the phone out the window, and he envisions his dad's, like, fairly mediocre cell phone being hurled out the window, and a through the winter air and onto the street below where a car would come or an elephant or like who knows it's his imagination maybe like a dinosaur is going to come and it's going to smash the phone in the street and it's going to crush it in this tragic defeat and he's like wow What drama and intrigue this is going to add to my boring life. Like, what a story I'll be able to tell. (laughs) Great imagination. Um, So there's this gem here for us, I think. Um, It's so easy to look at the world as this closed window, as this sad, dead end. We look at it. We throw something against it. We throw our hopes, our relationships, our money, our self-worth, and we know it's just going to come back and bounce off the window and hit us in the face every time. It's like this is all there is. We're just stuck inside with this closed window. But through God's love for us on the cross, it's like the window of the world is open for the first time. And we see and experience this fresh air. And we see the beauty of what's outside. And we experience goodness that is just far more than we can understand right now in our present circumstances. A writer that I really love is a Catholic novelist, uh, Michael O'Brien says in one of his novels, there is beauty in the world. There's no reason for it to be here. If it's all biology, all eating and getting eaten, and the strongest devouring the weakest, then it's madness. It's folly. (laughs) Nothing more than madness. It's dying and drowning, and all love is illusion. But there is love, you see poor, weak, and broken love, a sign of something from a distant land. I I think that's why this 1 Corinthians passage is in the lectionary for us in this season of Epiphany. Because the understanding of seeing such beauty through the open window of the cross requires a revelation. It requires an ability to see. It requires an epiphany of who Jesus is for us that can give us the hope of a home beyond our current one. And if that hope captivates us and captures us, it also has to change us. Through the good news, Jesus flips everything around, and that includes us as well. Those of us who choose this road that the world calls folly. We may and probably will become fools by following Jesus. But with him and because of him, he says, Blessed are the fools. I can't think of a more beautiful way to describe this upside-down world of the kingdom than by reading Jesus' words in our gospel this morning. You can turn there with me if you want. It's from Matthew 5, and I think it's on page 1217. Let's read this together. I'd love for you to be able to look at it as we read to just kind of soak in this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I look at these words and I think again about the life and legacy of Lilius Trotter. She's just one one example of this, of the saints, foolish saints. Um, She might have been a fool in the world's eyes, but in the cross, she was given and lived out of the very wisdom and power and deeper beauty of God's love. And her legacy is incredible she would spend the rest of her life about four decades ministering to the people of Algeria. And when she died she left behind 30 missionaries who looked to her as their leader and pastor and they continued that work ministering to the people of northern Africa. Through her work and through these missionaries that she mentored She essentially founded what would become Arab World Ministries, um, which since has merged with several other larger missions organizations, but in essence still remains to this day and is still ministering to the people of Northern Africa. This is almost 100 years after her death. It doesn't seem very foolish right now. I know that not all of us have a calling like Lilius Trotter's. But I know one thing is for sure, and that is God is looking for fools, for a fool's errand. So, I just want to ask us this morning, are we foolish enough to believe that the cross is real? That this burning ache that we feel inside of us is directed somewhere, and that's a home that we will one day see. That when we come to this table on Sundays, that we actually get to meet with the God of the universe, who holds all power and all wisdom. Do we believe that Jesus is coming back to make all things right? Do we believe that we can give up our lives because we're going to receive more in return than we could ever imagine. And if you're here this morning and you want to believe this, you want to know the wisdom and the power of God on the cross, then I would love to talk with you and pray with you after the service today. You can also talk with one of our Prayer ministers who will be over there um, during communion. And so, my hope and prayer this morning is that God helps all of us believe the folly of the cross more and more deeply. So, if you believe, if you live and give. From this place of belief, then I just want to affirm and bless you as you hear the words of God's love for you when he says to you, blessed are the fools, blessed are you, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.